we can be very appreciative and supportive of the facilities and the heroes on the front line, the physicians and the nurses and the others within the hospital that are, are, are going through what they're going through right now. But by the same token, we can be appreciative, but still live up to our fiduciary duty to our employees. The economic stress hospitals are feeling is nothing compared to the economic stress a small business that is shut down cannot operate. They're hurting. And the question is, is their company going to be able to survive this, to let additional income go out for non-compliant charges and for excessive medical billing? That is a combination. That's a one-two combination with a walk toward both the doors. Hello and welcome to this episode of Solving Healthcare. As you know, Solving Healthcare, our mission is to find and promote companies that are positively disrupting and positively influencing healthcare. And this, as we all know, is just such a strange time in our nation and globally. Who would have thought we'd all be locked down? Well, many employers, if you're experiencing some financial distress or a lot of financial distress, if you're self-funded, you need to take even more precautions around how to protect your plan dollars. So today we're going to be talking with Jim Napoli of Medliminal. Uh, some of you may remember the podcast that he recorded with me a few months back. His company essentially will allow you to create and enforce a payment integrity process. Almost every hospital bill has some type of error. And this is going to be something you are absolutely going to need to have handle on as you run your plan going forward. Because quite frankly, there is some strange legislation coming out about how COVID claims can be paid and should be addressed. As a plan sponsor, as a plan fiduciary, you owe it to yourself to make sure that you have the process in place so that every claim dollar that's going out is reasonable and it's paid correctly. Listen to the conversation that Jim and I have now with some strategies on what you can do to preserve plan dollars and revenue for your company. You have to look at both the federal and the state level. You have rules that are dealing with the charging of patients, so waivers of co-pays and things of of that nature. Um, You also have rules regarding the way that medical bill review is, uh, the way that the bills are processed by payors. Um, again, both at the federal and state level. So it's it's uh, very interesting, it's very challenging, and it's uh, day-to-day, just like, just like, you know, in terms of general treatment of COVID-19 um, in the medical world, it's a day-to-day type view. So literally, you're getting a, your direction is changing on a daily basis or what you consider to be a target is moving. Yes. Can you give like a, here's an example of how a claim was paid prior to COVID-19 and now here's what we're seeing. Uh, Understanding that doctors are making decisions right now and it's almost, if not very similar to combat medicine, right? So they're just having to make decisions based on the information and resources that they have available to them. Is that fair? That's fair. Absolutely. So I guess I'm curious, can you help me understand what you mean by the rules for payment are changing? Yeah. So, so a a concrete example would be one of the um, first rules that was changed about two, three weeks ago. 
And what that rule was is there are certain types of conditions that a hospital cannot charge a respirator for. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for example, if I have underlying asthma and I go in to the hospital emergency room with an asthma attack, respirator really isn't the appropriate piece of equipment to put me on. It's you know going to be give, give me inhaler, oxygen, but not to put me on an actual ventilator. What CMS did is put guidance out that said, if it is a COVID-19 related emergent care, then the ventilator charge can go through even if it's an underlying asthma that's been triggered. So the COVID-19, because the um, virus itself can trigger other underlying conditions, um, CMS is taking the position that it's the COVID-19, not the asthma that's actually being treated by use of the ventilator. So that's that's a an example of where someone comes in, COVID-19, um, they've been tested positive, they're having an asthma attack, facility uses a ventilator, facility then would use a special charge code that's a COVID-19 code, that would let then the payer know, okay, even though we would normally deny ventilator for asthma attack, we're going to go ahead and pay it because it's a COVID-19 related asthma attack. So let me ask you a question though, bud, because I guess what, what in, what's an interesting point could be order of operations or just if COVID, happen, COVID happens to show up on the bill. So let's just say somebody walks into the hospital, really, really bad asthma attack, and they test for COVID along the way. Is it possible that you could have uh, somebody who's negative, but the presumption that they may have it, so as a safety precaution, they put them on a ventilator? Do you think that could happen? Not not only do I think it can happen, it it, it has happened. We've we have um, seen that in practice. So what we do at Medliminal is we have updated our HCAT system to to permit various charges based on the COVID nineteen codes. But we also have a system of checks and balances. So if a COVID nineteen code comes through the system, we automatically request medical records. And then based on the medical record, we can see whether the individual was in fact um, given a COVID-19 test either before entering the hospital or while in the hospital and what the result of that test was. So if it's, a, if it's, if it's the situation where someone comes in with, with asthma, COVID-19 um, code is put on their bill, um, we will then pull the medical record and see what the result of that test was. If it's a positive test, then, then the ventilator is uh, paid for. If it is a negative test, then we're under the standard rules, which would say you don't pay for a ventilator um, with respect to an asthma attack. Jim, could you, could you uh, at just a very high level, talk about what your company does? Sure. So we review medical bills. Um, We are part of the medical payment integrity team for our clients. And we review those bills to make sure that the facility is charging um, properly. So we're not looking to um, 
hijack a bill and, and hold it over the facility's head and renegotiate the dollar amounts based on you know uh, a fairness type measure. What we're doing is we're looking at the bill and saying based on CMS guidelines, based on the hospital's own billing rules and the contracts between payer and hospital, we want to make sure that the hospital is paying, or I'm sorry, charging only what it ought to be charging. So a good example would be, and, and this is an interesting one because it actually, we were working with a, with a large national payer on their COVID policies and this, this issue came up. What about hospital acquired condition? Mm -hmm. So hospital acquired condition is someone comes in for um, a broken leg and they, as they're being wheeled in to, to have an x-ray on that leg, their, their head bumps into the door jam and they need stitches. Well, those, that injury and those related stitches were acquired at the hospital and it's presumed that it's the hospital's fault and therefore they cannot charge for that. So the question comes in to play, what if someone comes in, they are COVID free, and then they test positive for COVID-19 at the hospital. So is that a hospital-acquired condition? In typical instances, non-COVID related, if someone came in and they did not have um, a virus and then they test positive for a particular virus post-admission, that would be considered a hospital-acquired condition. So all of the treatment of that virus would, would not be uh, it wouldn't be covered, right? Wouldn't be covered. So here the question is, well, what if they come in and as a policy matter, we have been telling our client, uh, not telling them, but been guiding them not to not to use that as an exclusion to pay because of the, the way COVID can take 14 days to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, because of the, the facts and circumstances around it, it's very difficult to say that that is truly a hospital-acquired condition. Let's err on the side of assuming that the person was admitted with the COVID-19 so that all the COVID-19 exceptions to the billing rules, which favor the patient, favor the hospital, are put into play. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting perspective because the, the never-event rules were set around, you know, protecting plan sponsors from things like hospital-acquired infections. And generally that, you could, you could argue that that's from having improper sanitation requirements or right. improper infection control or somebody operating on the left knee when it should have been the right knee, right? Right. But, uh, in this case, yeah, I mean, I, I, so it's interesting to hear your perspective that you, you guys are taking a very cautious approach of suggesting that you not apply the never event rule to COVID-19 from a practical perspective, but also I, I would imagine that there would be some potential uh, legislative consequences by having that position. Is that a, is that a fair statement? I, I think that that is fair. And I, you know, before, before starting at Medliminal, as you know, I, I spent 21 years in in uh, big law and handled a lot of um, controversy, a lot of litigation in the area of employee benefits and group health plans. And I've done a lot of disaster planning, if you will. So this was one of those scenarios where I looked at it and Medlimina looked at it from, the, from three vantage points. Number one, as a practical medical matter, can you make a call as to whether it was hospital acquired or not? 
Um, second, from a legal, quasi-legal rules base, you know, what is, what is the answer? And then the third was from someone who is disaster management. Do you want to be the payer that is out there saying, we're not going to cover these COVID-19 related issues because we feel that the COVID-19 was contracted in the hospital? The optics are just horrible. Oh, understand totally. But, but Jim, understanding what you guys do is you got your company provides assurance that typical insurance companies or third party administrators and traditional carriers, they say they do an audit, but you're basically going in and saying, hey, look, based on the condition, based on everything that happened, we think that these are inappropriate charges. You have, we, we've already done a podcast on your company. And, and if anybody wants to listen to that, go to Solving Healthcare and look up Medliminal. But in this case, we're in a different world. And so, Jim, understanding that your position is to bring practical solutions and assurance that the claims that have come through are appropriate by reviewing the line item bills. I mean, what, do you have like a, a handful of suggestions that you can say during this time? Obviously, you've got a great practical go, but during this time, there's still things that you must do as a plan to make sure that the, the claims that are coming through are appropriate rather than opening up the spigot and just because it says COVID pay it. That's a, a great question. And, and yes, a, and it is one of those periods where things are moving fast. Mm -hmm. um, it is a moving target. The rules are, are constantly changing. I'll give you a, a primary example. The Georgia's governor, about two weeks, laid out a, people are calling it a mandate. I actually read it, and I would say it's a strong suggestion, but it falls a little short of an actual legal mandate. Basically, the governor of Georgia said, listen, payers, whether you're an insurance company, which the state can regulate, or whether you're a self-funded plan, which typically cannot, the state of, of Georgia highly recommends, highly suggests that any bill that is COVID related go through without any review. And not only that, it goes through without any prepayment review or any postpayment review. And you could can actually read the um, mandate, if that's what you want to call it, as to really say any, any medical bills that are going through ought not be reviewed um, in the state of Georgia. Now, when you look at that as, as, a, as a payor, you, you have to say, okay, what does that mean to me? What's the practical implication? I have on the one hand, if I'm an employer I'm sponsoring a, a self-funded plan, I have an ERISA fiduciary mm -hmm. responsibility to make sure I'm only paying the benefits under the plan, that I'm not being overcharged and paying more than what I ought to pay. But on the other hand, I have this mandate out there that while it might not apply officially to me as a self-funded ERISA plan, there's still a strong prejudice against a payer who says, wait a minute, we're not gonna just pay, we're, you know, we're gonna look at, at um, everything. The suggestion is this, if it is COVID-19, understand first what the new COVID-19 codes are. If the bill coming through does not have a COVID-19 charge on it, review it like you would review any, any other bill prior to, to paying it. If it has a COVID-19 charge on it, 
then what we are telling our clients to do is expedite the review, but at the same time, request the medical records to make sure, the, the key is to make sure that the individual really has COVID-19. Yeah, and I, I guess, Jim, what I want to make sure is, I based on the, the uh, in this case, the governor of Georgia's suggestion, if, if, let's just say somebody has a, a scheduled or an emergency knee surgery, right? And they test the person for COVID and maybe the knee surgery wasn't pre-authorized, but I guess what I would want to, I would want to make sure that my plan, because I have a fiduciary obligation to make sure it's reasonable and necessary. Right. Do you think it's possible that hospitals could attach a COVID, just a test and expect, or somehow get reimbursed more than they should? I don't think that it's only possible. I would say it's probable mm -hmm. uh, because I, I think there are going to be two types of thinking behind that. One is as a hospital, let's take a defensive posture in terms of, you know, let's put the COVID on there. Let's, let's test everybody. Mm -hmm. and then let's put on there that we tested so that we are in a position to make sure that as the hospital, we're getting covered what ought to be covered under any COVID exclusion. And then I think there will all, unfortunately, there will be those that are going to overreach a little bit. Times like this bring out the best and bring out the worst in humans. Well, yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, you know, uh, taking a step back, you know, in a normal world, so pre-COVID, how many claims did, would you all typically find where it was submitted with an error attached to it? Oh, just about every claim. I don't know of a claim that doesn't have some form of error. Yeah, so every claim. Uh, I, I mean, I thought you were going to say 90%. So you're saying essentially... 100% of what we see, we find errors. Okay. And so what I'm hearing you say is a hospital, as a protective measure, could say, hey, look, let's test everybody for COVID before we even operate, which you could argue that's, that's a prudent thing to do, right? Right, exactly. The other one's going to be, hey, look, let's see what we can get away with. Uh, let's attach a COVID diagnosis to it and see what happens. And the payer may not catch it or the payer may take an interpretation that because it's attached, we're going to pay the whole thing. Is that a fair statement? Yes, there's, there, there are definitely consultants out there that work with hospitals on how to creatively bill is what they would call it. Okay. Um, and so I guess, I guess I want to make sure that, but at the end of the day, you know, what I'm hearing you say is you still should consider, unless it's obvious that it's, everything's related to COVID, you should still take a practical approach of doing a medical review, a bill review, and expedite the processing so right. that it, it goes through as quickly as it possibly can. Absolutely, because it's, it's times like this where, where the billing issues can actually be exasperated, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there is so much going on and people's attentions on all sides. Like as an employer, I can say as, as the CEO of, a, of a, a small business myself, I have been so preoccupied with the COVID issue and the way it impacts my business and my employees and, and all that. I'm sure there are things right now that I would normally have the time to, to really review and reflect on that I don't. Um, so too with the hospitals, they're, they're both employers as well as service providers. So I want, I want to be fair to the hospitals that they're at a time, a critical time for themselves in that 
they're predicted to lose about 25% of revenue in Q1 and Q2, possibly into Q3 of 2020 because all the non-elective surgeries are being postponed or canceled. Um, so what that means is there, is there is going to be a economic pressure on these hospitals mm -hmm. at the same time that their costs are going up and at the same time that they're now losing themselves to COVID-19, some of their professionals, their nurses, their physicians who themselves are getting sick. I have a friend in New York whose wife is, is a doctor and she recently tested positive for COVID-19. And I said, that's, you know, I'm so sorry, that is horrible. And he said, you know, the, the good news is she's just running fever and it hasn't really gone into anything. And we feel blessed because we have already lost a number of friends who are physicians and nurses who have either passed away or are being incubated right now. So it's, it, it is very serious. And, and the one thing that I would really, the line that I have taken with, with Medliminal and then what in speaking with our clients is this, we can be very appreciative and supportive of the facilities and the heroes on the front line, the physicians and the nurses and the others within the hospital that are, are, are going through what they're going through right now. But by the same token, we can be appreciative, but still live up to our fiduciary duty to our employees, understanding that the economic stress hospitals are feeling is nothing compared to the economic stress a small business that is shut down, mm -hmm. cannot operate. We're lucky at Medliminal that we're able to continue our operations um, via telework. Um, but there are a number of friends of mine that they're hurting. And the question is, is their company going to be able to survive this? So if at the same time, they as a company are struggling to bring in income, to let additional income go out for non-compliant charges and for excessive medical billing, that is a combination, that's a one-two combination with a walk oh, toward yeah. both doors. Yeah, I can only imagine. So if you're a self-funded plan and you have to shut down your your operations. And so like my my daughter's a great example. She's in the uh, what is she essentially she works um in production management, right? And so nobody's coming nobody's doing anything. So their entire company is on furlough, but they've extended benefits at least through April, maybe May. Well, if you're that employer, you're, you're, you want to keep your cash and you must protect it. So at the same time, and you've, you've got to obviously make sure people get the care they need and all of that. But yeah, you're definitely concerned about the cash that you have and wanting to make sure that your people are taken care of, but also that that cash is directly reserved ex exclusively for that. And so Absolutely. The, 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 the concern, I guess the thing that I have is, you know, as a former underwriter, understanding that these hospital claims we probably even haven't even seen the front end of any claim come through the system. So nothing presented for payment, at least not, not the tidal wave that we would expect. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, we're, we are starting to see COVID-19 claims come through, but it isn't this, the tidal wave yet. Yeah, and so I would expect that in the certain hotspots throughout the country, you're gonna see when the hospital systems can focus on you know, uh, past patient care and now starting to bill, that's when you're going to see the mushroom cloud. And so for plan sponsors listening, they, they do have a little bit of time 
But what, what would you suggest a plan sponsor do right now uh, in reviewing their, their plan document? What are some suggestions you would think they should do right now to protect that cash uh, to the extent they can? Right. I, I think right now, to the extent they have a broker or trusted advisor that they're working with, they ought to sit down and develop a medical payment integrity process. And that would include um, a prepay and or a postpay. Um, understanding that the carrier, um, particularly if they're with one of the large carriers, is going to be somewhat resistant. Mm -hmm. um, but what what we have done is we have come in as an independent fiduciary to the plan and worked with the large carriers to say, listen, our client has appointed us a fiduciary to the plan. We are here to make sure that understanding that large carriers do some of the screening up front, um, we want to screen those claims um, and scrutinize them even more so. Um, to make sure that the plan is not paying um, more than what they ought to be paying. But it takes coordination of effort and it takes, you know, some time to put in place. So you're right. Now is the time to be having these conversations. Look at what your plan documents say in terms of the ability to put in this type of program, which mm -hmm. unless, unless the document says you prohibits it, which would be very shocking to me. Um, you certainly can put a program like this into place. Um, just make sure it's documented, you know, properly. And um, I think, again, now more than ever, it's it's important. Oh, totally agree, Jim. And let me ask you, though, because I think, I think what may happen is they'll look at their our administrative service agreement and they'll see something in there that, that kind of looks and smells like what we're talking about, and it'll be an audit, right? Right. And that's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about making sure that the claim, uh, the payment process, not the process itself, but the claim itself is based on how it's submitted, it is uh, worthy of, of being paid. And, and I, I probably said that incorrectly, but you wanna, you wanna fix me on that one? No, that's, that's, that's right. It's, it's basically, when you look at it, the, the, the audit that is being referred to in the ASA is an audit of how the claim is being processed from the, from the plan's perspective, is it is it covered by the plan's terms? Um, uh, is the copay has the copay been calculated properly? What we do is we're doing payment integrity, which says we're looking at the hospital bill itself, and we're saying regardless of what the plan says, is the bill itself proper? And appropriate. So the, the the view, the emphasis isn't on the plan and the plan processes. It's on really the facility and how the facility is billing the plan. So we're looking to say in the first instance, as you said, is this bill appropriate? Is it even payable? And then, okay, assuming that it is, we've cleaned out all of the non-compliant charges. Now we put it into the plan's payment process. And then that's what the what the um, audit would, would review. Yeah, and so what I'm, what I'm hearing you say, Jim, is ideally what you wanna do is sit down with your consultant or sit down with your broker and review your plan. So your plan document, but also the payment integrity process that should be in place. And you're gonna to have to work with your broker, your consultant, and your third-party administrator or carrier. And this right. is something you should do sooner than later because 
I, I would say that hospitals, knowing that they're going to have, uh, I think you said 25% of their revenue gone within each quarter for the next two or three quarters, that's a huge amount of capital that they're going to either have to make up through um, billing processes or hopefully they will get some relief from the federal government. Don't know. But at the end of the day, you have a pool of cash and they're going to want it and they're going to try to justify it. And so it sounds horrible to even bring this up, but you've got to do something to protect yourself and protect your plan. And yes, this is a horrible condition. And yes, unfortunately, people are passing away and really, really sick, but you still must, as a plan, protect your assets. Well, remember too, to, to, put, it, to put it into further context, it's not that the hospitals are going to lose this money. It's being deferred, right? Because it's not like people are going to say, oh, I no longer need that hernia operation. No, you still need it. It's elective because it's not an emergency situation, right. but you still need it. Now, on the employer side, though, once that money's gone, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you spend out of your, your pool of money for you know, um, healthcare claims, it's gone. So I, I, I agree. It's something that needs to really be worked on now. Understand, too, that if you hear from the, from the carrier that they already provide this type of review, I would say suggest that they do but not to the level of scrutiny that a fiduciary would want. They actually, they being the carriers, actually have contracts with their network um, facilities, some of which say the carrier can't look at, can't um, review the bills at all, either prepayment or postpayment. Um, others say, well, well, they can, but they can only look, look or review, review the bill to a certain degree. So the, the carrier has a, an inherent conflict of interest, right? Because mm -hmm. they don't want to frustrate their facilities that are part of their network for fear of the facility pulling out of the network. So of course, the carrier is not going to scrutinize to the level that an independent fiduciary not only will, but um, is legally required to scrutinize the bills. Wow. Yeah, totally understand. And so Jim, uh, before we summarize, I guess that want to make sure I, I, I ask you to, to address this, but in terms of stop loss, if you have plans that are, or plan sponsors thinking that this is okay, we have stop loss for this. What, what I would offer is that if you want to protect yourself, this is my underwriter hat going on, but, but the reason you have a program like yours in place is to protect not only your plan assets now, but your plan assets next year because let's just say you have an extraordinary number of high claims this year well you're most likely going to feel that next year and, and so i guess from your perspective what do you, what what would you suggest as well from um, other other recommendations to plan sponsors around stop loss or anything we, we might not have covered so, so far well I, I think number one the stop loss providers and and we do work with some stop loss um, providers as well they really embrace the employer who is, is implementing this type of strategy because it, it's often going to save the stop loss provider some money, which means it passes through in the underwriting and um, the premium for next year. So you're, you're saving um, increases in premium dollars. Um, you're also saving, and, and this is something that occurred to me as we were going through 
this COVID-19 crisis, and I kind of put on my hat as an attorney, and having represented stop-loss providers as, as an attorney prior to, to uh, Medliminal, you know, query whether it would be an extra contractual benefit if the plan were to cover charges that it ought not be covering similar to if the plan terms, like let's say the plan um, says that it only covers five, five types of therapies uh, each, each plan year and the plan ends up covering 10 therapies, um, stop loss is going to say, well, we'll cover the stop loss portion for the first five, but the, the other five therapies are extra contractual, so they're not going to be covered. Query here, if the plan is permitting things to be billed through to the plan that ought not be billed, is that another form of extra contractual benefit that the stop loss provider may very well say, we're not going to cover that because it shouldn't have been paid in the first instance. So Jim, anything else that you're thinking of uh, or what your company is leaning towards in terms of how you protect your, your customers? I think at at this time it's it's all about being reasonable, striking reason, and it's all about process. So as as I tell my team, Medliminal as employer, our fiduciary responsibility is met to our employees by implementing a process that makes sense um, in terms of assuring that we're paying out the benefits that. Um, should be paid and only those benefits. So what from a fiduciary responsibility, it's all about the process. So that's going back to what we said a couple times now. Now's the time to sit down with your broker, to sit down with your agent and talk about the process. What process are we as the employer going to put in place to both protect the assets of the company from being overtaxed in terms of medical Um, charges and medical bills, but also to protect the assets of the company um, in terms of defending the company should someone try to sue for breach of fiduciary duty, saying, listen, you you overspent millions of dollars or you overspent, and that is now impacting me as an employee. Um, So it's it's, uh, something that I would also say in these times where it's really critical, the, the additional expense of the benefits could push expect particularly small businesses over the edge you have to look beyond just your ERISA responsibilities to a general good corporate um, practice and having you know good procedures in place to protect yourself against any type of of claim that you know you 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 were just spending money frivolously yeah, and uh, Jim, I knew you would have some great advice and some great insights given your unique perspective uh, as an attorney and an also an investigator, but also just uh, knowing that you like to geek out on this stuff. Um, <laughs> I figured you would have uh, some fantastic insights and recommendations for clients and for people that don't know what to do or looking for creative ways to save money, creative ways to make sure that they're role as fiduciary is maintained and defended defensible uh, this is a, a good thing to consider and to do right now so jim um, if people want to get a hold of you how do they do that um they can reach us at medliminal.com m-e-d-l-i-m-i-n-a-l medliminal.com and all our information is there 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Solving Healthcare. My hope is that you found some value that you can use to apply to your plan and to help save money for yourself and for your employees. If you'd like more information on what you can do and other creative strategies that you can employ to keep your plan costs low and keep a competitive workforce, give me a call. Number is 832-236-8966. Or you can email me directly at mike at solvinghealthcare.net. Thank you. Thank you.